0: hello hello i'm amanda and i'm rachel and we are christ followers we are longtime friends and we are mothers of young children and we want to record and recount the things that the lord has been teaching us in this season of motherhood we have been learning more about god and about how to hear from him during this busy season of motherhood We share these things with each other, and now we want to share them with you. So join us as we have conversations about all that God is teaching us. Hi, everybody. Today, I will be recording the rest of Made to Thrive, which is a little book that I wrote last year about basically the premise of this podcast lessons learned through daily life as a mom and just things that god has been teaching me in this season Um, so i recorded the first half in the last episode and this is the rest of the book so this episode's a little bit longer because i didn't quite nail the half and half but i hope you can hang in there and enjoy and be encouraged by uh, just the things that God is doing and teaching His people, and um, it was encouraging me to encouraging to me to read it because I was I was able to remember um, just truths from the Lord, which has been impactful. Um, so I pray that you're encouraged as well, and we'll get started. Chapter eight: Cardstock Laptop. "'No!' I heard two-year-old Maddie cry to her little sister. Looking over to see what the issue was, I watched one-year-old Mila walk around with an old cardstock church bulletin that had been folded in half and thrown in the trash. Apparently, this former piece of trash was the source of all the toddler emotions. I took the paper and gave it back to Maddie. I saw the girls with the bulletin multiple times over the next several days and overheard the same frustration when Milo would take the bulletin. Believe it or not, my children have toys and books and actual fun things to play with, but this folded piece of cardstock was the big thing, apparently. This evening, Maddie sat on the couch with the bulletin in her lap and opened it up to a 90 degree angle. She looked at her daddy and told him she was eh translation, editing. I have been editing a friend's book for the last year and she knows that Mama's laptop either means a show or Mama is editing. What I thought was just a piece of trash was actually my little daughter's laptop, her tool to imitate her mama. She sat there next to me and we both had our laptops. She watched my fingers and copied my movements. She looked up at me with her big doe eyes and smiled saying, Maddie editing? mama editing what seemed to me to be the most insignificant thing in our house was to my baby girl a prized possession that piece of paper meant something special to her and it's as valuable in her eyes as a real laptop and perhaps even more so because it allows her to be like her mama Trav reminds me often to stop and pay attention to the girls, watching to see what they are really experiencing or trying to communicate. I'm starting to see why that's so important. Chapter 9. Fireworks. All of the memories I cherish most have felt surprisingly ordinary in the moment. What I had built up in my mind to be a fairy tale turned out to be real, normal life but I wouldn't trade those moments for the world. Looking down at the man on one knee who was asking me to marry him, turned out not to be some mysterious and heroic knight in shining armor, but my best friend, the guy I talked to every single day and knew better than anyone else. It was so ordinary, but so wonderful. Meeting my babies for the first time was the same. It didn't feel like the fireworks moment so many describe, I didn't completely forget about my surroundings or lose all feelings of discomfort or pain. I didn't even feel that indescribable, overwhelming sense of love for my new little bundle. Utter relief and shock are more the feelings I would say characterized those first few moments for me. I was overjoyed to have my baby in my arms, but in that immediate moment, perhaps more overjoyed to be on the other side of giving birth. The reality was, as much as I loved my new little baby, I didn't know her. Beyond her kick patterns, preferred side of the womb, and the frequency of her hiccups, I really didn't know anything about this new baby I had just birthed. I loved her, of course, and my maternal instinct kicked into high gear instantly as I sought to comfort, soothe, and nourish my infant. But fireworks? Ecstasy? Unabashed bliss? Not the words I would use to describe my feelings as I caught my breath from pushing so hard, or as I felt the rough tugging of the doctor stitching me up where I had torn. Those first few minutes and hours were a total whirlwind, but what a beautiful whirlwind. Meeting my babies may not have felt like a Hallmark card for me, and honing in on your why to discover your purpose during this season is so worth it. I have also found that the more I give of myself rather than trying to craft my perfect ideal scenario, the more fulfilled I am. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20.35 ESV If I look to people to fulfill me, I will be disappointed every time. But if I look to pour myself out and serve whoever God brings into my life, I will enjoy so much blessing. It might not always feel like a blessing, but we will reap what we sow, and there truly is joy headed our way when we give of ourselves to others. I have enjoyed doing hobbies that are purely for my enjoyment, but the projects and pursuits that have had God's hand behind them are the ones that have brought the most fulfillment. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 ESV I haven't read anything in scripture that says we should wait until the kids are out of the house to walk in the good works he has prepared for us. Obviously, if we have a husband and children, caring for our families is part of those good works. But I wonder if sometimes we landlock ourselves into thinking that's all we can handle and we don't even ask the Lord if there are other good works he wants us to accomplish in this season. It is all too easy to feel maxed out and like we couldn't possibly take on more. But I have been learning that if I choose a faith mindset, then the Lord expands my capacity and I am somehow able to accomplish things I never thought I would be able to while raising young children. It makes me wonder what other good works he prepared ahead of time for me to walk in right now, not later when it feels more realistic. Now. To be honest, that's exactly what this book is. I don't particularly enjoy writing. It feels weird to be writing a book about motherhood when I am so new to it myself. And when I'm walking by sight, I certainly do not feel like I have time or brain capacity to write a book right now but that's all part of the journey. The Lord made it clear this is one of the things he had for me and that the time is now, so here we are. Finally, I think understanding our purpose in our roles as mothers is important. That one has taken me the longest, and I'm not sure I'm even fully there yet. I tend to be the kind of person that is easily amused, easily distracted, easily contented, And so I don't get hung up very often on the big picture life questions about what my purpose is, why I'm here, etc. There are pros and cons to this for sure. I have found, though, that there is a sense of excitement, fulfillment, and significance in gaining a greater understanding of why I am doing what I am doing. Raising eternal beings and warriors for the kingdom of God is one of the most significant roles I can imagine giving myself to. What an honor to do this working alongside God. This is a high calling indeed. Chapter 11, Expectations. Sometimes one of the hardest things to cope with is failed expectations. And at least half the time, I don't even realize the source of my anger, discouragement, or angst is failed expectations. But when I do, I'm tempted to protect my future self From these feelings by becoming cynical or imagining the worst or trying to be as realistic as possible and trying to control the environment to make sure my expectations aren't failed again. When I stop and think about it though I realize that it's not about doubting the possibility of a good outcome out of self-protection and it's not about nailing the right expectations. I think it's more about letting go of my selfish desires and assumptions and being willing to face the unexpected and roll with the punches. Nothing is guaranteed except the promises of God, so anything else I bank my life or hopes or expectations on is going to falter. We weren't designed to rely on self-made expectations being met. We were designed to rely on our Creator. He's the only thing that doesn't falter. I'm reminded of the parable in scripture that talks about the wise man building his house on the rock and the foolish man building his house on the sand. I'm sure it would have been much easier to dig a hole for the foundation in the sand than on the rock. But when the storm hit, the house on the sand was destroyed and the house on the rock stood firm. I want to build my house on the rock. I want to set my hope in God and not on my own sandy expectations. Chapter 12, called to be like Jesus. The world around us eagerly validates what our own desires tell us, which is to make sure everything is fair and equal. We can build up a seemingly strong argument for why our husbands should do the same amount of housework that we do share the same amount of diaper changes, or middle-of-the-night bottle feeds. But the more I go back to Scripture, the more I have to wrestle with how Jesus lived and called us to live. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. 1 John 2.6 NLT If I, then, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. John thirteen, fourteen through sixteen, ESV. The combination of these two verses has been like a spiritual head dunk in water waking me up to the realization that these are like the ABCs of life as a follower of Jesus, and I seem to be skipping them. God cares way more about a humble life of submission and service to others than about fairness and comfort in my life. Jesus gave up his place in heaven to come down to earth to be treated more unjustly than I can even fathom but I'm not willing to let go of the entitlement I feel for my husband to do more to help me out. It just doesn't add up. But I also don't know how to live this way. And honestly, most of the time, I wouldn't say that I feel particularly motivated to. So I'm acknowledging right now to whoever is reading this that I am asking the Holy Spirit to give me motivation and strength to actually live like Jesus. Chapter 13. The Poison of Motherhood There is one thing I can think of that, when I allow it, absolutely poisons my experience of motherhood and also marriage, friendships, and life in general. It is something I choose. It knocks on the door of my mind and I make a choice. Sometimes I stand there hesitating, then decide that I like what I see and I invite it in. Other times I practically fling the door open and yank it inside. But the times that I make the choice to slam the door in its face are the times that I actually set myself up to thrive. That visitor, or more appropriately named, that poison is a victim mindset. As I look back upon my three pregnancies, births, and postpartum periods, the number one factor that determines survival versus thrival, can I just make that word up please, it flows. Is whether or not I had a victim mindset. Many times in pregnancy, I threw myself some pretty bomb pity parties, except after the quick hit of dopamine that the negativity brought, I was left feeling pretty miserable. Labor and delivery went better because I was chasing my dream of unmedicated births, so I knew I had to have a mentality of strength, love, and surrender. Postpartum tends to feel for me like the gateway back to normal life. With childbirth behind me, some semblance of normalcy for my body, my hormones, my life, is at least glimmering on the horizon. So much of my energy during pregnancy goes towards planning and preparing for the baby's arrival. And so much like a bride after her honeymoon, postpartum me starts shifting my attention to the rest of my life. And that's when, once again, I am faced with opportunities galore to choose whether or not I'm going to be a victim of my circumstances. I find that moms have quite an easy inroad to victim mindsets. The level of sacrifice required, even if we were to just give the bare minimum, is still gargantuan. We share our very own oxygen, for crying out loud. The aches and pains, the decision fatigue, the overstimulation, the all-encompassing continuousness of it all is a lot. Children are a delight, but it is also true that they require everything from us at times and everything can be hard to give. I don't need to continue describing why it might be easy for us as moms to start feeling like a victim to our lives. Because I'm guessing most of us are acquainted with feeling at points, like our husbands don't understand or don't do enough to ease our load. Or what about our friends going out for girls' night while we're stuck home with sick kids? Poor body image, FOMO, feeling run ragged. If we start going down these mental roads, we will find that we are walking hand-in-hand with that old poison, and we have become victims once again. The thing is, we can only be victims if something wrong is happening to us. Motherhood is hard, but it certainly isn't wrong. For some reason, I tend to expect utopia here on Earth, and I get indignant all over again when my perfect little picture of how things should be once again doesn't fall into place. I like to be comfortable. I like for things to make sense and to feel fair. I like sleep. I like feeling fully understood and fully appreciated. When any of those things are jeopardized, boy, do I feel like a martyr. But why? What did I expect? I live in a cursed world. I should expect hard. I am called to lay down my life in love. I should know it's not always going to feel warm and cozy. Jesus came to this earth to serve, not to be served. He above all deserved the royal treatment. And yet he gave up everything he was entitled to and became the lowest of the low. Exhaustion, disrespect, being taken advantage of, overstimulation, pain, hard work, continual sacrifice. None of these things we experience were foreign to him. And to think that in all of that, his self-care routine was getting up extra early to go off and pray to the Father. We are called to walk like Jesus. I don't know about you, but all of a sudden, picking up that water cup that has been thrown to the floor for the umpteenth time in a row doesn't feel so burdensome. I sure would rather hear the chaotic noise of three tiny people expressing all of their desires at once than the mocking questions of skeptics or the terrifying chants of angry mobs. I know that our fuel doesn't come from comparing our hardships with Jesus and then feeling grateful. But it does make me grateful that my cross to bear is filled with so many cute faces and manageable messes. Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If that's the case, then may I never take on weight that I'm not meant to carry. I have been learning that when I just chill out and stop striving, I not only have so much more peace and internal bandwidth to set a positive tone for my family, but I also tend to get more done as well. It seems so backwards, but it's almost always proved true. We have the privilege, not the burden, of motherhood, and we have a gentle shepherd to lead us through our days in a way that feels life-giving rather than life-sucking. I keep having to relearn this whenever I take the reins back and try to control things and make things happen in my own strength. That surrender can be so difficult, But as soon as I do, it's like the light comes streaming in after being blocked by dark curtains. Chapter 14, Actually Growing One of the many things my husband is really good at is actually growing. He sees something he is weak in, and he does what it takes to grow in that area. He doesn't just talk about it, and he doesn't make excuses about why he may be like that. When push comes to shove, he chooses the hard road and allows himself to be stretched so that he can be strengthened. It can be so easy to talk about what we're bad at or what we're weak in or what areas we need to grow. We commiserate with one another and then things pretty much fizzle out from there. But just like growing muscle in the gym, growing in godliness, or anything really, requires showing up putting in a lot of reps, and pushing past what we think we're capable of. I tend to excuse myself from actually growing in self-control because I categorize myself as someone who has always struggled with anger, or maybe I'm pregnant or postpartum or on my period or hungry or tired or breathing. So surely my anger is understandable and I don't have to actually do anything about it other than apologize, right? Or maybe it's less about feeling like I don't have to do anything about it and more about feeling like it is something that I can't change. I tend to see anger like my body type as something that I can't control or change, though maybe sometimes cover up or disguise. But that is completely contrary to what God says about me in his word. I am a new creation in Christ, no longer dead in the flesh and a slave to sin. I am called to be like Jesus, and to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. So rather than continuing to let myself off the hook of actually doing the hard parts of building self-control, patience, love, etc., I am acknowledging right now before you, whoever is reading this, that I am going to start taking God at His Word and believe that He has given me a spirit of power, love, and self-control. I will no longer continuously succumb to a sin pattern I think is never going to change. But I am committing to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, showing up and getting those reps in, even as additional weight is added. Chapter 15, we can do hard things. We live in a culture run by business tycoons who are constantly pushing messages out that our comfort and ease are of utmost importance and highest priority so that we will buy their products. Nowhere in scripture is the comfort of man shown to be the priority. The opposite is true, in fact. We're called to lay down our own desires, to give of ourselves, to sacrifice, to work hard, to be content in all circumstances, to persevere. I don't know a lot about heaven, but I imagine it's pretty comfortable. Jesus gave it up our comfort is not the priority with the laying down of comforts comes an empowered realization that we can do hard things i think of this when i am several months postpartum and i am lifting something heavy or going many hours without eating or something else hard or uncomfortable that i didn't slash couldn't do while pregnant there is somewhat of a freeing sense in realizing that i can push myself harder because my decisions for my body no longer impact a little one growing inside me. It's a liberating reminder that I can do hard things. Throughout my whole life, I've been inspired by my grandma, who I consider to be a modern pioneer woman. At 70 years old, she was taking a sledgehammer to some stubborn tile in our basement because she and my grandpa were renovating it to live in. She is strong, she is resourceful, she is resilient she is content with no other person have i talked more about pioneers and it is clear that she draws so much inspiration from them no wonder because her grandparents were pioneers our culture and generation today in 21st century america is centered around cushy living compared with just about every other generation and culture in history we're pansies We complain about mountains of laundry to fold, which, to be fair, pioneer women certainly didn't deal with, but that's probably because each family member only owned maybe two to three outfits each that they wore many times in a row and then hand-washed and hung to dry so they would be ready to change right back into. They didn't have mountains of laundry to fold because they didn't have mountains of laundry. There was no fast fashion industry where you could just click buy now and the same shirt in three different colors would arrive at your door the next day. They also probably didn't have to deal with decluttering because they didn't have a huge house full of possessions. I so often have these strong and resilient women in mind when I am feeling overworked or pushed to my max. I remember that God also made me strong and resilient And resourceful and capable of so much more than I know. So I want to surround myself with people who are pushing themselves to do hard things. We can do hard things and there is such reward on the other side. Chapter 16 Ice Age Emotions. My husband and I talk a lot about the kinds of things we do or do not want our kids to watch. He is a deep and very visual processor and tends to think several steps beyond the average viewer, so he has always been sensitive to certain things that I don't even think about. For instance, I could watch video compilations of people falling all day long and laugh cry through half of it, while he would be sitting there seriously concerned about the pain the person must have gone through. How sweet and tender is my man? Because of the way he internalizes things that he watches, he is very on guard about what we let our kids watch. One day, I decided to sit down with the girls and watch something we would all enjoy. It was harder than I thought to find something that didn't have scary stuff in it, but I eventually landed on Ice Age, because what could be wrong with Ice Age? The movie starts off with Scrat the squirrel desperately trying to get his acorn out of a wall of ice. I was trying to encourage the girls to laugh by laughing and pointing out how silly he was. Milo was sitting on my lap with thumb in mouth laughing when I laughed. Maddie was wide-eyed and completely engrossed. Per usual, Scrat got himself into an impossible situation with water starting to burst through the ice in little shoots that he would try and plug up with his fingers. More and more little shoots of water started to pop up until eventually the wall burst in a huge onslaught of water that sent poor Scrat flying. It was at this climactic moment that Mila burst into laughter and Maddie burst into tears. And that's when I knew Trav and I each have a mini. It's moments like these that get me so excited to know my children as individuals to understand how they are wired, and to see them for who God made them to be. I saw something so beautiful in the way both of my daughters reacted to the squirrel's comical plight. One found delight and joy and humor. The other displayed a tender empathy towards someone struggling. How I love what God has placed in both of my girls, and I pray that I will be able to help them embrace the way he has so uniquely, intentionally, and wonderfully made them. Chapter 17 Daddy's Home. The girls were in their high chairs eating, and all of a sudden Maddie exclaims, Oh, Daddy's here! Then she starts turning around, trying to get a glimpse of him through the window. I was confused because Trav didn't say anything about heading home yet, and she was facing away from the window and door when she declared with so much certainty that Daddy was here. Remembering that the Holy Spirit can even show babies things that we don't see, I ran outside to double check, and sure enough, Trav had just pulled up. A phrase I have heard a lot in the last few years is that there is no junior Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit is just as real and powerful no matter who he is speaking through. A toddler speaking words inspired by the Holy Spirit holds just as much weight as if the vessel being used were the most spirit-filled elder. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, no matter who He is operating through, be it a brand-new believer, a megachurch pastor, a homeless individual, a teenager, or a missionary. I don't recall being particularly taught this, but I grew up with the assumption that God only really speaks through His Word, spiritual leaders, and very occasionally directly to His people. I expected to, in general, only hear from Him in church or a prayer meeting, and as a result did not pay attention to how He may be speaking in other contexts, through unlikely people, or to me directly. I boxed in how God wanted to communicate, and I didn't think I could really hear from Him in mundane moments. As He has opened my eyes over the last several years, I have begun to see that He is constantly speaking. Our good Father is and wants to be so active and involved with His children, just like we do with ours. As I have begun to pay attention in faith to where and how He may be speaking, I have found that he is so much more accessible than I ever imagined. Isn't that what Jesus bought for us? Access to the Father? So now, when my two-year-old speaks a word of knowledge, I don't chalk it up to mere coincidence. I start paying closer attention to how the Lord might be speaking to and through my children, knowing that his heart is for them as well. I believe he gave my daughter sight or knowledge that day to know that her daddy was home. I am her mother, an adult who has been a believer for many years, and I am only just understanding what it is to hear and believe the voice of the Lord. If my children can start off that way, how incredibly rich will their relationships with him be when they are my age? How deeply rooted and discerning will they be, even as they raise their own children? This gets me excited. Chapter 18 Right Eye Dominant he just stared at her. I found it kind of odd that Trav's primary mode of interaction with the baby was just staring at her. It wasn't the tilted head, enamored smile kind of stare either. That would have made more sense to me. It was just blank-faced, focused staring. I knew before we had kids that my husband was not a baby person. We practically had to force him to hold his own baby nephew. I knew that baby talk was not going to be his thing, and it would be harder for him to find ways to engage with the baby, but I expected at least a little more effort than the prolonged staring. Midway into my wishing he would bond with our baby better, he looked up at me and said, Did you know she's right eye dominant, so if you look into her right eye, you'll connect with her more? I was floored. I learned that day that we all have our own ways of connecting and to let me be me and him be him. How much tension that lesson has saved us. Chapter 19 Go to Her As I crawled into bed way too late, I looked at the monitor to check on Maddie. I think she made some sort of noise or whimper, but that wasn't uncommon and I knew she would be fast asleep again within a couple minutes. But then I felt the Lord's prompting. Go to her. Um, that's crazy talk. She's fine, and it's 2 a.m. I need to go to sleep. Go to her. Okay, Lord, since I'm practicing hearing your voice and obeying you, I'll go. But I don't agree with this decision. Sneaking past infant Mila, who was sleeping soundly in her bassinet, I walked to Maddie's room and quietly crept inside. I climbed into her crib to snuggle with her. I figured maybe God was just giving me some sweet cuddle time with my girly at a strange time of night. At least I hoped it would be snuggle time, but her curly head and big eyes immediately popped up to play. She thought it was so fun and silly that mommy was in bed with her. I laid still, hoping she would be inspired to do the same, but she proceeded to stand up and play. After about 10 minutes, I could tell she was pooping. Why in the world was she pooping at 2 a.m.? I got up to change her, and without going into too much detail, let me just say that the kid who has a history of frequent and severe diaper rashes would have had the mother of all diaper rashes the next morning if I hadn't been there. The Holy Spirit, in his perfect wisdom and love, was taking care of my little girl, and showing me how walking step by step with him was enabling me to make better decisions for her than I would have made on my own. He knew the exact 10 minute window that I needed to be there to change her diaper and protect her from pain in the morning. Chapter 20, the burden of our happiness. The mojo of our culture today is that our happiness is the ultimate point of our lives. And whether we realize it or not, that way of living usually leads to feeling like our kids exist for our happiness. I'm sad to say I have bought into these lies far too often, that my happiness is the goal and that my kids are here to make me happy. Of course, they do make me happier than they'll probably ever know, but that is not their purpose in this life. They are a gift, but they are not meant to fulfill me. Only the giver of the gifts can do that. The fact is we are the creation, not the creator. We all exist for him. As soon as I start living outside of this reality, I'm operating outside of his design and things start to fall apart. I keep grasping at happiness and exasperatingly coming up just short of it. It feels like I'm so close. If only my husband helped around the house more or the kids would stop fighting or the house looked more like Pinterest or if I could just get more time to myself, then everything would feel right and I would be happy. But the burden of my happiness is only one that God can handle. My husband can't handle it. My children can't handle it. My wallet can't handle it. My body can't handle it. When I am irritable or snippy towards Trav, it is almost always because I am expecting him to fill a hole he will never be able to fill. In the same way, my kids are not able to fulfill me. So, whether I mean to or not, it's unfair of me to place an expectation upon them that they can never live up to. I realize that if I allow my kids to be my idols in this way, what may begin as blissful affection for my new baby could easily turn into a critical disapproval that my kids may feel the burden of well into adulthood. If I treat my kids according to the false premise that they're here for my happiness, Then I'll treat them according to my feelings rather than building for them a foundation that will set them up for the rest of life on earth and for eternity. Potentially, the most important thing I can do for them is understand that they are gifts from God, but they are ultimately His, and it is in Him alone that both they and I will find our happiness. Chapter 21 Let Us Not Grow Weary. I'm just weary. I complained as I rehearsed in my head just what exactly was so offensive about my husband saying that he was having a lot of back pain and also that he would love some toast the special way I make it I started building up a case in my mind about how I was the victim in this situation and I was constantly filling needs and nobody cared about the fact that I might have needs and how I would appreciate it if my husband would assess what all I was in the middle of before adding more to my plate, etc. I was pleased with my argument, so far, and thought I definitely had a solid enough case to wallow in my feelings and to complain to my husband. But something wasn't quite right. I knew that somehow, despite all appearances to myself, I was off and the road I was on wasn't going to lead anywhere good. I thought about how I had told Trav in the past that I wanted him to come to me when his back was hurting and I would gladly give him a massage, and how in the past I had shown so much delight in making him a meal or snack that he really enjoyed. I have always loved taking good care of my husband because he is my favorite person, my best friend, and the love of my life. I'm his wife and it is my joy to take care of him. So what was the problem? Again, I started building up my case, but I was too tired and hungry to keep going. So after Mila was in bed and I had made Trav's toast, I sat down to eat lunch and read. And that's when I revisited Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up, ESV. Wait, what? Has it always said that? This verse I have quoted for years, encouraged my husband with, reminded myself of, has it really always said to not grow weary of doing good? In a moment of revelation, I realized I have always interpreted this verse as saying, when you are weary of doing good, do not give up. But to not grow weary in the first place? Of course we'll grow weary. What do you mean don't grow weary? My mind bucks this as a possibility, but it's right there in scripture. So it must be possible and it must be best. The call by God is to not get tired of doing good. This is revolutionary as a mom. If God said don't grow weary of doing good, then my next question is how? Other verses start flooding my mind about God's sufficient grace, joy in every kind of trial, taking Christ's light burden and easy yoke. And the secret to contentment, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 ESV Motherhood is hard, but Jesus has made sure we are well equipped to handle it, if we'll just take him up on his gifts. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. The fruit of the spirit is patience, the fruit of the spirit is kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If we are walking by the Spirit our lives will be full of these fruits. I'm not sure it's even possible to grow tired of doing good if we are filled with things like patience, joy, and faithfulness. So mamas, let's take hold of the Lord's help and obey his directive to not grow weary in doing good. A letter to my daughter, a perspective shift. Myla Jade, my beautiful daughter, You are eight months old and cute as can be. You are waking up throughout the night again, and while I'm sleep deprived and confused as to why and wondering if I should be doing anything differently, I have stopped fighting it and stopped feeling like I'm failing somehow. Instead, I am soaking up the moments I have to comfort you, feed you, and hold you close. I know these precious days are passing quickly and I don't want to miss out on being everything you need me to be right now and on privileged moments that God has given only me. I don't want to be so busy making sure I'm making the best choices that I miss out on you. You are so much more important than me being able to say that my baby sleeps through the night. You matter so much more to me than sleep. I consider myself blessed beyond measure to get to mother you. Every morning you wake up again around 5.30 a.m. before mommy is ready to get up for the day and I feed you and then we snuggle our faces close and you squeal and smile and my heart soars. Then I put you in your pack and play with toys while I snooze for a little longer until you are ready to go back to sleep and finish your night. I treasure those early morning squeal and smile filled face snuggles. I love being close to you and bonding with my joyful girl. I have so many more thoughts I want to share, but I need to get to sleep before you wake up hungry again. I love you, my girly mommy. Father, I thank you so much for all that you are doing, all that you are showing your people, all just how good of a god you are. Thank you that you are with us as we mother these children. You are with us as we go to our jobs, as we get up, as we go to sleep. Um, we acknowledge that you are God and we're your people. And I just pray that this, um, this episode, would you would use it to speak to whoever's listening in a way that um, builds them up and draws them closer to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thus concludes season one of Motherhood Chronicle. Nope, that's not what it's called. LOL blooper. Thus concludes, this concludes season one of Mom Chronicles. Amanda and I are going to be taking a few weeks off and we will be back with season two. So stay tuned. And subscribe to this podcast on the podcast app or Spotify um, so that you can know when the next episode comes. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye.